Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of The Walk. It is a nice morning. No wind, no rain. Instead, we've got some fluffy white Dutch clouds and sunshine and a little bit of residual heat. It's not very warm, but it is just a nice kind of late summer morning. And I want to share today uh, a little bit more about the process that I'm currently in, which I've shared with you over the past few weeks. And um, you may have noticed that there's a lot happening and it's all good. Even the things that I would in the past qualify as not good, as setbacks, disappointments. Just recently I, I started to rethink that. It's all good because even bad experiences can actually help me discover what to do next, what not to do. Um, people that may, annoyed, may have annoyed me in the past, may have frustrated me, may have made me feel that they limit my options, actually become examples of, well, what I don't want to be or how I don't want to behave. It's all a matter of, well reframing, rethinking the situation and looking at what happens from the perspective of what did it teach me? How did it form me? And even negative, actually not, I'm saying even as if this was kind of a, almost a miracle, but it is especially the bad experiences in life, in my past, even in my current situation that are the most formative if, if I look for the good in it, if I look for how that can help me discern what to do next. I was quite ex- inspired uh, this morning by an article that I read about Pope Francis. Um, you may have noticed, even if you don't follow the Vatican News on a day-to-day basis, and don't worry, I don't, I don't do that either, but you certainly must have heard um, reports over the past few years that Pope Francis is trying to change the core of the operation of the Catholic Church. It's not about changing doctrine or changing what the Church believes, but very much how the Church operates. And this is nothing new. This is what many saints and popes have done in the past. And even Jesus himself constantly does that when he interacts with his apostles. They, he constantly scolds them, corrects them, tries to move them in a different direction because they kind of have this limited view. They still have to learn so much. They make bad decisions. They are afraid. Every time you see that Jesus intervenes and pushes them in a new direction, how many times have you heard him say, don't be afraid? Don't be afraid. And then he sends them off two by two, even though they haven't had any experience going by themselves, saying, you'll just do the great things that I've done. You'll do even greater things. And uh, don't count on your possessions. Don't take anything extra with you. Just see what the road will bring you. So he constantly challenges his apostles to change their attitude, to change their view, to bring courage into the game. And to always think from a bigger perspective than their own limited human view. 
So, and that has been the case for many centuries in the church. The church is made out of people like you and me. The church is not this, you know, <laughs> perfect organization where everybody is always uh, acting morally and making the right choices. No, there's, because it is a human uh, operation driven and led, I think, by God and you know, there's the Holy Spirit as well, but God can only work with us. <laughs> we are, we are flawed. We do things wrong. Sometimes we even misperceive what God wants us to do, and so we, even though He wants to help us, we still mess it up. History shows countless examples of that. Also, recent history, but that doesn't stop God from trying to challenge us and to speak through the saints and try to change the church, change its mode of operation. And so that is, I think, where Pope Francis steps into an, a very old tradition of not just course correcting in terms of, you know, setting goals, and uh, but, but changing the attitude of the people. Because according to him, and I think this is very true, the future of the church does not depend on one pope, on his ideas even. It is the only future that a church has is a common future. It is when we walk together, as he often describes it. It's about <laughs> walking underneath the, the highway here, and some kids are uh, actually on the back of the bike of their mom, loving the echo. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, Pope Francis emphasizes how much the church is a community and that no single person can know everything. And especially when we're tackling the hardest problems that we're facing. Like, how do we bring God into this world that does not seem to be that interested? How can we save the world from itself? How can we help people, especially the poor and the, the, those that are in the most vulnerable positions how can we still share with them the resources of the of the planet protect the future for their their children when so much of our mode of operation in the world is determined by by greed by this relentless desire to just take what you can take carpe diem you know not thinking about other people not thinking about the future of your children, your grandchildren. Well, the only way to tackle those very complicated problems, which individually we, we can barely even grasp, let alone solve, the only way to do that is to bring that family together and to think about it together. And so he is very adverse to uh, this approach that some people seem to advocate nowadays, that a church is just another political organization. And what matters is the rules. Uh, you need to have this. It's like enforcing a, a certain mode of operations on everyone else instead of bringing everyone together and walking together. Um, it's this, you know, whenever there's polarization and whenever you start to get these camps of, you know, the very much modeled on, again, on... on, on worldly forms of organization very much I mean especially nowadays 
with all this polarization in our societies, in our Western societies, and this individualism, um, that seeps into the church and creates these camps and some people try to force their view of what the future should be onto the rest of, of the community. And that, of course, is a peril because it stops you from really discerning together. And so he tries to change that. He tries to really open up the church for this, what he calls the synodal mode of functioning. A synod is something that brings people together and together you discern what God's will is. And then ultimately, of course, you still have the magisterium, so you have the authority of the Pope to, to confirm that, but it's never the Pope's infallibility theologically is never just well the Pope comes up with something and then he just decrees that it's the truth it is if you look at how this particular dogma in the church developed it's very much that you need to have someone who almost like the father of a family you know who having listened to his wife having having listened to the children having brought in his own thoughts and also being open to correction and to other input finally decides, okay, let's do this. We, 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 we want to do this together. Let's go. Like, I don't know, vacation destination or something. It would be a terrible family if the dad was always, or the mom, for that matter, would determine for everyone else, this is where we're going. No, ultimately, the best vacations are the vacations where everybody has been able to chip in, has been able to, to uh, uh, contribute to the discernment, and then together you make this final decision and always there's always someone who will have to you know step behind a wheel and steer the car that's kind of how i think the catholic church views the authority of the pope yes he is the ultimate decider but it's based on communal discernment and without that and even jesus asks questions to his apostles what do people say about me what do you think (laughs) where should we go um, and then sometimes he just takes the lead, and, and, and especially when he feels that, you know, there is this division, um, and apostles are having this inner fight. Who's, who's the most important one? Who's, what are we going to do next? You've got Judas with his own very limited view of what Jesus should do and what he should stand for and what he should not do. Sometimes Jesus just says, but this is what we're, I'm challenging you. This is, we have to go to Jerusalem. Don't, don't be stopped by your human considerations of how dangerous it is. This is the way. This is what God wants. And so we have to go there. So anyway, Pope Francis is, in this article, they were talking about um, uh, a recent interview that Pope Francis gave to a Jesuit magazine, La Civiltà Cattolica, um, the Catholic civilization or uh, I hope that's the correct <laughs> translation it is run by uh, Antonio Spadaro a Jesuit who actually huge Macintosh fan listener to well used to be a listener to my to my podcasts um, great guy very geeky and so he runs this magazine and has a, a personal bond with Pope Francis so he's got you, you can feel that every time he interviews the Pope, there's this huge confidence, this, this very open discussion, um, and nothing is off the table. And so he asked the Pope, 
So why did you ultimately decide not to go ahead and allowing married priests to work in the Amazon? Which it was a huge point of discussion during the Amazon Synod last year. You may remember that. And the majority of the bishops that were there were actually in favor of allowing, you know, older married men to be ordained priests and to go into the Amazon because there are these remote regions where it's so difficult to have a presence as a Catholic church. Pope didn't go along with that. And in this interview, in this recent interview, he tells us why. And he explains something I think very interesting that is also applicable to our own discernment, to our own, well, that could, could also uh, help us to change our own mode of, of operations. He says, I felt that at one point there was so much polarization around this, around this topic and you would have these camps of uh, people that were in favor of it, but then you had this strong resistance on the other hand, um, and it became a political issue. The, we had very good discussions, he said. This, there was this great conversation, and, and there was, was such a great exchange of ideas. However, he said, there was no discernment. It was an intellectual debate. And I'm, I'm kind of phrasing this in my own way. It's very much in the minds there. We were talking on an intellectual level. But because there was so much opposition between these camps, and the way in which they tried to enforce their, what, their views, they were using this, these political ways of operating, you know, trying to get the media behind them, stoking unrest, kind of fanning the flames of, of discontent among certain Catholics, uh, saying that, well, well, if the Pope would allow married priests and the entire world and the Catholic Church would crumble um, once you get into that opposition there's no longer a walking together yes you are talking together but you're not walking together you're not discerning what you should truly do and so that is why he didn't mention it he didn't he, he, he talked about a lot of other ways to uh, to help the Amazon, but he did not go into the topic of um, allowing ordained priests or married uh, uh, priests to be ordained or married people to be ordained priests, <laughs> I should specify. So, um, but it doesn't mean for the Pope that it's off the table, that we will never discuss it anymore. No, he's like, the Synod, he said that literally, the Synod is not over. This is an ongoing process. And so this, this entire topic, this entire process of discernment is an ongoing process. It's not that I have decided that, well, you know, we'll never talk about this again. No, it just means that we are not ready for it. Our, the way in which we approached this whole question was too limited. It was too political, too polarized. It's, we're only at the first stage, exchange of ideas debating intellectually, but not really discerning. And I was so impressed by that attitude because it shows someone who has patience, but also who has the humility to wait for the right moment to take decisions. It's very much part of the Jesuit way of thinking. 
Um, and there's a lot of turmoil. You don't take the decision. You wait for the dust to settle in a certain way. And so oftentimes, even though you yourself personally, you may want to do this and that, and you're convinced that that is the way to go, it may not be the right time. And sometimes you just have to wait and discern a little bit more and be silent and think in terms of years instead of days. I think it's also a, a good counterbalance to our, you know, this, this whole, I don't know, what, what a lot of us nowadays seem to seem to want. It's like we want it now. We want it immediately. Uh, we don't want to wait. We, don't, we skip the process of talking to others. We don't get other people's advice. It's our way or the highway. And that, does that always lead to the right this results? If I try to apply that to myself, I've had and still have a lot of these mm, tendencies to wanting too much and wanting it all right away, not thinking it through, not getting advice. I have something in my mind and it needs to happen right now. And anyone who opposes it is an enemy. <laughs> if I get even more specific... Just this whole time that we were trying to deal with the COVID-19 situation, the, 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 the way that has changed our societies, has changed our church, of course I have plenty of ideas. Good morning, Mr... Yes, it's a, it's a bull, not a cow. Uh, he's just looking at me like, hey, good morning, what are you doing? <laughs> Why don't you eat grass like normal cows? Uh, and bulls. <laughs> so, the uh, I'm, I'm working in the uh, I'm working I'm walking in the countryside. In case you're wondering, and I'm surrounded by on the left by green grass, green meadows, and on the right some farmhouses, and there's a soccer field over there. And normally this is this is the road where I run, but uh, I'm giving myself a little bit of break of running. I've done long running sessions this week some speed work but I just feel I try to listen to my body I feel that now is you know I need to give myself some time to recover that will only strengthen my future runs again it's not about the short term results when you're working on your fit overall fitness it's about the long stretch it's about this overall change of habits and anyway so um during this COVID situation, you heard me pitch ideas. Yeah, I had very specific ideas of uh, what what our parish should do, what what it should focus on, how it could uh, use uh, internet, streaming, etc., to build up community, and and maybe should completely rethink their their own their entire way of operating. And you've also heard me being so frustrated by the fact that. So many of my fellow parishioners, um, fellow priests, fellow, fellow um, volunteers, were not seeing that at all. We're not focusing on, on rethinking and discerning what the new future should be, but instead trying to just get back to the way things were as soon as we can. Nostalgia of what we have left behind, what was robbed, kind of this feeling, it was robbed. 
we were robbed from our normal way of doing things. And it's not fair. And we need to go back to the way things were. And that, of course, is all limiting the options. It's, it's, it's almost sabotaging yourself by saying there is no other way than the way we used to do things. You don't even open up for alternatives and for creativity. And you remember how much I was frustrated because I felt like, but this is not the way to go. We need to do this now. And I try to force it through only to be, you know, stopped by the people who were truly in charge. And so I'm thinking, well, I've been also trying to change in, in just a few weeks. And I, I worked myself to death or half to death trying to push the entire or the two parishes into this new direction fruitlessly um, because I wanted it right away and not realizing that if you want to create a future it needs to be communal it needs to, you need to walk together and if most of your parish is not ready for it if your colleagues are not seeing it you may want to change right away but you're forcing your hand. You're not letting the process take its course. You're, you're not having patience enough. So it may not be the right time. So then the question is, well, what can I do? What should I focus on? And so if, if you see that you don't get, you, you can't really get people on your side, even the, just thinking of like getting people on your side is as if I have all the solutions. I also had to realize that many of the ideas that I had were limited and unsustainable over the long run, even, even just uh, the, the technical side of it. How much uh, have I learned about the difficulties of, 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 of putting a, a live stream together and make, keep it interesting? I'm still struggling with it. I'm still constantly thinking, how can I make this better? Like this morning, I was watching a, uh, a video on YouTube about um, mastermind seminars. It was just this guy telling how he did his mastermind seminars. And one of the things he said, it just struck me. It was like, wow, this is actually golden advice. He said, the worst thing you can do during a... And this was like an on-location mastermind uh, day, you know. So mastermind, basically, people coming together, helping each other as entrepreneur, entrepreneurs asking questions, sharing their, their, their discoveries. Uh, cutting down a tree here on the right, as you can tell. It's probably one of the trees that uh, suffered from the lack of rain during this uh, very hot summer. So the weakest trees are now, uh, are now dying, fortunately, in this area. There is quite a bit. I'm, I'm actually surprised that already leaves are turning brown. That's much earlier than last year. So the um, what he said was, well, if you're together for one day, and this is very intense, right? There's a lot happening. You get a lot of input, a lot of ideas. The worst thing you can do is to turn it into a classroom where there's a teacher and he gives a PowerPoint presentation. You know what happens? Especially with these entrepreneurs who are usually quite ADD. They want to go for it. They are not used to sitting down for an hour and just listen, let alone an entire day. So, he said, we keep people moving. 
We let them walk around, you form pairs and talk to each other. What have you learned? What have you learned? We constantly we use music to pump up the energy in the room because it's when you're at your peak state. They didn't use that term, but that's how I interpreted it. That is when you when you see the best, when you when when you have energy, that is when you can process what you learn much better than when you're half asleep. And I'm thinking, well, gosh, isn't that something that we should also apply to church life? And in a certain way, the Catholic Church has already got a certain, you know, pattern to prevent people from sleeping, and that is involving all the senses. It's music, it's olfactory, it's, it's, it's the smell, of frankincense, it's auditory, it's the bells that we ring, it's the, you know, the sounds that we make. It's also moving, it's standing up, kneeling, bowing, walking. Catholic Church is actually, I think, very modern in, in its liturgy, but we are, again, forgetting about the, the purpose of those things. So we, we've turned them into rubrics, into rules, and you just have to follow the rules, and we get very upset when people break the rules. But we forget that these rules are for something else, and that is to keep us attentive, to posture, breathing, smelling, listening, singing, all these activities, walking, are helping us to process what is happening, is helping us to be more involved in what we do there. And I'm thinking, whoa, <laughs> what, what do my homilies actually sound like? They sound like classroom talks. I have a tendency to preach for a very long time. And yes, I, I do use examples. I think I'm reasonably good at keeping people's attention. But it's still a very one-way situation. And very linear. Like, I have this homily, just listen from A to Z, and that's it. Do with it what you want. There is no processing, there is no sharing. Shouldn't we rethink that? Isn't one of the cool things of, of online celebrations, like internet uh, streams, that you can actually discuss what is said? We don't even facilitate it, it uh, or purposely. It, it just happens. People just say, well, hey, I love that quote, or this, this touched me, or this spoke to me. Not, sometimes not always right away, but after a while, people will come back to me and say, wow, wow this really touched me. It's the kind of, that, then it changes. It, it also feeds me, gives me an idea of, like, oh, wait a minute. So that was, in this 20-minute long homily, that was the only thing that that person needed to hear. I could have done that in two minutes, right? So it's, it's this exchange, this interaction, movement. I think some people think that we're moving too much in the Catholic Church. I think we're not doing enough. I think we should move much more. Music. Music is very emotional. It's not about the words or the melodies. It's about how it, what it does to us. What is, what is the least developed thing right now in the Catholic Church, and at least in my country? It's music. It's all the same boring songs with very mediocre performances. Uh, it doesn't work. It doesn't, well, it, it doesn't 
fulfill its purpose. And that is to rev up the community and make them enthusiastic and make them feel things, open their hearts. None of that is happening. We're just going through the motions. So, I'm thinking, what can I do in this situation? I can't set the course for my parishes. Um, It's even limited what I can do within the time span of a week when it comes to the technical side of the streaming masses, etc. But what I can do is ask myself these discernment questions. Is what I'm doing actually the best way of operating? Is Am I focusing on the right things? Am I asking the right questions? That is maybe the, the most important thing that you have to do when you try to discern. Ask the right questions. Does this work? Does this help? Does this really inspire people? Do, do people, when, they, when they've been watching Mass for Geeks, are they motivated? Are, have they learned something? Have, did they feel something? Did it strengthen them? Did it really? And what? So if that is the case, and you know that from feedback, so you should ask this. This is something we should do after every Mass, even just anywhere. Ask people what touched you. I remember this technique from uh, a Belgian priest when I was still a seminarian, and I went to his parish, and during the week he would celebrate Mass every day with a few parishioners. And he would make us sit in a circle, we were like five or six, at the, after the readings, right? And then he didn't preach, but he asked one question. He said, I would like you to take one phrase of these readings that touched you, and then tell us why. And then we just asked everyone. Not everyone had a, had a good, an- or a good answer, or like a very inspiring answer, but it was so interesting to see that some people were touched by, by certain words or certain phrases that I glossed over and didn't do anything for me. But listening to their interpretation is like, whoa, I never thought about it that way. And so it's this, again, communal discernment of what does God want to tell us through these readings when do we do that in church we don't we have this very linear magisterial approach like the priest knows everything he's the one who should preach and we just have to at least pretend that we're not falling asleep I mean it works this (laughs) we've been doing liturgy like that for a long time but is this the best we can do? Is this, isn't there something else that we can do? What can we learn from the interaction in the chat? And, and, and can we apply those lessons learned to our real-life masses, our real-life liturgy? I don't have all the answers, but it's a, it's a good question. It's an interesting question. And I believe that, that we should discern this together. In a last week's meeting, when... The, um, the pastoral team and some members of the, of the, uh, the boards, or I'm not sure how you call that, the people in charge in the parish, when they were discussing um, how to proceed in these times of corona, knowing that it's not over, and what should we do when there's a second wave and the, cl- the churches will close again. It was this fundamental question about 
how what is our way of operations what is our <laughs> what are we as a church what, what what are we supposed to do now that a lot of the things that we thought was the core of what we what we were here for has been completely erased by by corona um and then it was it was an interesting question and I was surprised that nobody had an answer to that. So there were some very small... Like most people just repeated the question, yeah, what should we do? Well, I don't know. Uh, what are we doing now? Oh, internet celebrations. And then they looked at me, Father Roderick. What do you think? And I literally refused to answer that question. I said, well, I can give you some lessons learned. I can give you some results the measurable aspects of what we do, but I don't know how we should proceed as a church. We should figure that out together. Don't look at me as if I'm the guru who's going to tell you what to do. <laughs> Not to mention that I've noticed that when I actually gave you some pointers in the past, you didn't want to listen. And I'm not blaming that on anyone. If there's anyone to blame for it, it's me that I probably didn't communicate it in the right way or I didn't integrate it in a process of, dis of communal pro uh, discernment. I was just like, I know what to do. I have a thousand ideas per minute. Let me just force them upon you. Right? So it's this... But the question could be the start of a process of, of discernment. Um, and so... This, this is really um, is moving me in a certain way uh, to, towards a much more fundamental way of looking at what do I do? What, what is my future? What is my role as a priest in this world? As a podcaster also, as a television maker? The, the, the big questions that I should ask myself is not just how can I squeeze in uh, how, how can I do what I normally would do for a week? Like last time in the walk, I explained how I try to film in a more efficient way and uh, reduce the editing time, etc. But those are just very technical, you know, tricks. It's... But I said something that I think actually <laughs> I didn't even realize how, how profound it was. Um... In the sense of how deep it goes, this question is. Uh, my last time I said, what, instead of lowering my goals, like everybody tells me, it's not possible to edit a TV show, to produce a TV show in one day, including editing, it's not possible. I said, hey, I'm not going to change my goals. I'm going to change reality. I'm going to bend reality so that it fits my goals. And then I'm thinking, well, but I'm doing that for this technical thing of producing a television show that is a very very small question it's a very small problem to solve but I should I should apply this question to everything what am I currently doing as a priest what is the reason that I'm here and is that enough what I currently do is that really is that it? And is, it, is the rest of, the, of my life consists of trying to be as efficient as possible? 
trying to find the balance, to, to, to just do what I do? Or should I ask myself, but the world has changed. The church is changing right now. How can I change? What is my challenge here? And I cannot figure that out by myself. That is why I'm so enjoying this whole process of coaching and sharing this with you. Like, I'm, I'm just, I feel like for the past few weeks, I've just been passing on things that I'm discovering so that you think about it as well. And because I believe that there is, this is, this is something that, that we all need to do right now. This is about rethinking your life, rethinking your choices, rethinking the purpose of your life. And it's only when you, when you really, um, when you don't leave out any area of your life, that is where this process can yield the, 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 the greatest fruit. If you only apply it to the technicalities like time management or something like that, or income, I think we're, we're, we're missing the, the opportunity here. But if we look at the entire life that we lead, this existence, and it's limited. It is, there is a beginning, there is an end. And there is a... There, there is a, there is a finality to our lives, and that is good because it gives us an impetus to, <laughs> to really jump on the, on the on the train and do something. Because if we don't, our life is going to just pass us by. You don't want to have regrets when you die. So the question is, what would you do? <laughs> This is another Tony Robbins question. If if you knew that you only had one week to live. What would you do? Would you just dwell on all the frustrations and little things and people that annoy you? Or would you just try to live life to the fullest? Well, why don't you do that all the time instead of leaving it for your last week of your life where you don't know in what state you will be in and what your physical condition will be in? So, and, and so it was, it's, a, it's a question I think that challenges you to to think big not just in terms of ambition but also in terms of scope this is a time of of grace where it's it feels as if the world is put on hold most people make their world smaller their concerns smaller like it's for if you follow the news from the US right now it's like this ongoing avalanche of little petty fights and indignation and wars and and it's all about the election as if this this election this upcoming election is going to solve everything and change the world it's not the world changes when you change not if the circumstances change life does not happen to you but happens for you is another thing that Tony Robbins says a lot um, and that's not a magical new agey thing but it means that you have to try to look at the world and at what happens as something that can help you to make the right choices that is what discernment is and so if we are in this corona crisis if we are in this unstable political situation, a societal unrest, etc. Don't dwell on just being frustrated and angry and fighting petty wars on your, in your limited 
you know, social circles. Nothing of that is going to change the world. It's not going to change your life. It's just going to make you miserable. Instead, use this time as um, a moment of discernment. The world has been put on hold to give you time to think, well, what am I supposed to do here? What is my vocation? What would be God's vision, God's scope? Where would he focus? What would Jesus do? He didn't go to Jerusalem to fix the political system and cast out the Romans. He was there to give an example of what life is all about. It's about loving as and and going to the extremes in that love and uh, making love a verb where it's all about giving yourself, not keeping anything for yourself, but only thinking about your friends and wanting to give your life for them. That is what life is, is about. Well, if I ask myself that question, is my life about that? Or am I wasting my God-given opportunities to just dwell on the past and, and be frustrated and angry and... and <laughs> pile on other people mentally because usually we don't even dare to confront them. I do that all the time. Like I'm mad at this person. I'm frustrated about this and that. None of that will change that person unless I ask myself first, well, what can I do to better the situation? If that person doesn't change, if the situation doesn't change, if the political configurate, if the, 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 if the politics don't change... If the election doesn't change the world. The question remains, well, what, what do you do? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. That is the, that is the first step of discernment. And then I think the next step is you've got to make that communal. That's something that I am still working on. It is how can I... Um, gather people around me that can help me in this discernment. And it's not just about me. It's about we. How can we forge a new future? Um, and I'm encouraged by what I read of Pope Francis' approach to the church, where you really have to um, have to uh, have patience and only act when when there is consent, well, when there's consensus, not always, but when you feel that it's the t- it's the right time, and uh, maybe that can be a month from now, maybe it can be a year from now, and and so I have these long term ideas for um, how the church can can be close to people in these times of Corona, a lot of which I can't realize by myself. I'm not even sure how, technically, uh, or from point of view of organization. I don't have the time. But I have this long, these kind of these visions of what, what we should do. Like what I said about liturgy. How can we make that more interactive? How can we prevent people from falling asleep during Mass? You can sleep in your bed. You, you shouldn't sleep in church. So instead of blaming people that they sleep in church, I should ask myself, or we should ask ourselves, well, what can we change to prevent that? How can we make liturgy more what it's supposed to be? And that is something that not changes, that doesn't change God, but changes you. 
But those are questions with long-term answers. But it starts, the process of change starts by exchanging, by sharing ideas. And that, that is why uh, currently I'm, I'm just like exploring ideas of, of how can I bring people together to do just that, to rethink what we do and what we are and how to move forward. I, I think we should create... The word should is very dangerous, by the way. <laughs> we must have uh, more groups where this whole synodal process, this synodal way of operating as a church has its place and has where you can bring in people that all have the same ideal in the sense that they, they really want to make the, be- the most of this situation and want to take advantage of corona to change the church. To ch- well, not to change the church, to change its operations, to serve better, to improve, instead of just trying to go back to a past that is no longer there and will not return anytime soon. Not to mention that it didn't work anyway. And anyway, I, I will, I'll keep you in the loop in this process, but I'm, I think I'm on to something. I just don't know exactly the modalities and how to do that. But here's what. If you, if you think that you should be part of that process, you want to contribute to this, this, this creative thinking, this looking at opportunities, entrepreneurship in the church in a certain way. And I'm just focusing right now on on church, but you could also apply it to other areas in your life. I mean, I could do the same process when it comes to health, healthy living, um, time management, or apply it to, I don't know, TV production. How can I do this better? I'd love to have a, a group where I, I can talk with others and, and figure out how to make television for the new generation, for in these new, instead of just doing my TV work like anyone else. Uh, being more eager, like like Steve Jobs, you know, stay hungry. I, I I'm looking for people that are hungry like that, and would like to to help me and help <laughs> let me help them in figuring this out together. Enough of this. I'll just throw it in the pond right <laughs> right now. We'll see where the ripples will take us, but. Uh, but let me know, uh, especially if you're on Discord, if you're a patron. Um, maybe I'll just create a Discord group to, to think about this. Um, again, I'll just uh, make an announcement in the Discord group. If you want, you're wondering what I'm talking about, uh, people that, uh, uh, that are part of what I do, <laughs> part of this, this, I don't know, this always feels like much more than just media productions. It, it, we're, 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 doing, we're building something together. I, so I've got these people that uh, are patrons and they help me to bring these shows to you and to, well, to develop these ideas. Um, and in return, uh, when people become a patron, they get access to the Discord, which is a community server. Um, it's protected because you, don't, you, you only want really motivated people in there. And so th- this motivation... Obviously, if someone is a patron, they're motivated to contribute. So uh, that is, that is a, a, I think, a, a perfect platform to start this whole process of 
you know, communal discernment. I'm going to leave it at that. More information at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. Thank you for listening, and I'm eager to see you back next time. God bless.